0: I hate this town I hate this fucking town I don't even want to be in this town I know we're gonna leave this town going not take this town, I don't You know this town must have run its mouth This fucking town We can leave this town I'm walking on the grass and I've never seen this town She's got dreams too big for this town
1: Hello, and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. I am, as always, Elaine. And I'm Fletcher. Adam? Adam? We We lost Adam. Adam is not here today. This is too much peak boomer for someone so young. So, are we talking about a record today? I'm not. I think in the middle of this podcast, I forgot that I was hosting a podcast, and I went like, hmm, silence. Like, silence. I also like Silence After Listening to the Offspring's Conspiracy of One. I tried to listen to these records two times and I didn't make it. This is a first for this podcast. I could listen to the Mitch Allen Experience two times. I could listen to Phoenix TX two times. Couldn't make it with this one. I don't think this is as bad as those records. I think this is more mediocre, but it is so mediocre that it's really difficult to focus while listening to this.
2: So, this gets into a little bit about how this is the start of a very bad downslide for The Offspring. And this record was a success at the time, but everything from here is diminishing returns to the point that they are now eight years without an album, and in the middle of a lawsuit, and have no label right now, as we record this.
1: Yeah, as someone who knows what The Offspring... Like, I've listened to all pretty much all of the records that The Offspring did. It This is really bad, and it's all downhill from here. It gets worse. Do you have any experience with The Offspring before this?
2: So The Offspring are in that tier of band, like Orgy, where they have a couple of good singles, and I would never buy an album by them. So... Pretty fly for a white guy. All right, there's something there, and I think I have some fondness towards it because of Weird Al. Gone Away is actually a pretty good maudlin' song, and I think that's probably where they peak for me. And I will never not
1: associate Crazy Taxi with,
0: them. Yeah, 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 yeah!
1: So, they got that going for them. I am also, like, sort of like The Offsprings. I really liked Americana. I fairly like the album before Americana. Ixnay on the Ombre. That that one is also a pretty good record. I, those were one of the bands when I was like into pop-punk bands as a kid that was like, yay, The Offspring, up to Americana. And you sort of don't listen to the stuff that they put out after Americana because we'll see why. We'll see why from this record. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to cover Splinter along the way and that'll be a pain. Yeah, Splinter is the next... I want to say? Yes. Yeah, that one is peak, terrible offering.
2: go back to the start and i try to give a very concise summary of these bands history to this point but i think just taking the culture of the group from their own retellings of their origin this will explain everything you need to know about the offspring brian dexter holland and greg creasel met in 1983 in cypress california and farted around in a garage together with instruments for a while Following a riot at a social distortion show in 1984, they decided they wanted to form a band and called it Maniac Subsidal. This involved hiring two others, a singer and a drummer, but no recordings were made under this name. Instead, the singer was forced out, and here's a side note from me, I could not find out why, but every story says that the singer was kicked out as opposed to the other guy leaving, and so they hired James Lilja of Clowns of Death, which, if you don't know, was apparently a pre-Oingo Boingo name for Oingo Boingo, and school janitor Kevin Noodles Wasserman. Wasserman was hired because, being older than the others, he could purchase everyone beer. In 1986, the band changed names to The Offspring and self-released an EP under the banner Black Label Records, obviously named after the beer. This goes on for a while, and in that single telling of the group's origins, you get everything you'll ever need to know about this band and the culture it dwells in. We covered their 90s hits on Episode Zero, but unlike Green Day, they don't really get creative. No one in the offspring matures. It's 2020, and their last three music releases were the theme song to Sharknado 4, a Joe Exotic cover, and a very bad cover of a Christmas song.
1: I didn't know about the sound of Sharknado 4. That's very fitting.
2: Yeah, that was the last thing they did until
1: two
2: kind of
1: released singles this year. I really do not want to listen what The Offspring sound like in 2020, I'll be honest. Everyone is like, release the new record. I'm like, don't release the new record, please.
2: Well, apparently, depending on who you believe, it's been done for two years, it was finished up sometime last year, or... It's
1: 98% done and just needs a label. Offspring makes me sad because I think Americana was a really good record. I think I sort of undersold it when we did episode zero because it was, like, another great episode. (laughs) I really like Americana. I think it has, like, really catchy choruses. It has, like, some really good energy. You know, you have to ignore the lyrics. But aside from that, it's, like, solid pop-punk. And everything The Offsprings did after that is so bad. Days Go By is the 2012 record and it's probably the least bad, sort of a vague return to form, but it's still pretty bad.
2: There were three videos on this album. The one of most interest is Original Prankster, the lead single, and there's a bit of a story around this song. This was released for free on their website. The band intended to push out all the tracks online to fans as support for music downloading, but Columbia Records threatened to sue them if they did this. Interestingly enough, this would not be the first time this would happen in this era, and I believe within a few years of this, Weird Al was going to release a few of his tracks online. And also, one track he did that the artist cut that he made fun of pulled support at the last minute was cut from the record, and all of a sudden it showed up in about 70 different download links on his website. That's always going to be funny to me. Did you get out any chart data about how this record did? This thing was platinum within five weeks. Reached the top ten in several countries, including Australia, Sweden, and the UK, and was in the top ten on the US and Canadian rock charts. Platinum in Australia, the third single in the Offsprings catalog to release platinum status after Pretty Fly and Why Don't You Get a Job. Well, I didn't expect that second one. Interestingly enough... The song was featured in the Rob Schneider movie, The Animal, as payback for
1: letting them sample his voice. Original Prankster topped at 70, which is actually lower than their other big top 100 hits, which was Pretty Fly for a White Guy, which topped at 53. And uh, in a couple of years, Hit That will top at 64. Youch.
2: The original Prankster video is actually a little nauseating to watch because it's what if Back to the Future met What's My Age Again met a serial killer. The song also has Redman on guest vocals, because why not? He's there. He's in the video. There's really not much to say other than uh, Redman classes the joint up. Video number two was for Want You Bad, and it was the last time in pop culture anything would ever reference a foam party but because it's the offspring, the foam can't be soap. It has to be a bunch of shaken-up, exploded beer cans.
1: The third one is a million miles away, and it's just a live video. They're, they're playing on tour. We've seen this video a lot. Yeah, there's nothing to discuss about that. Which band that we talked about wasn't their label? Like, they opened the label, and one of the bands we talked about in the past wasn't that label?
2: Um, They were on Epitaph Records' Bad Religions Company.
1: No, no, the, the Dexter whatever has a has a label, and someone we talked about in the last couple of episodes was on that label. It was, um, AFI. They signed the AFI up. Nitro Records. Oh, I completely missed that. Yeah, you're right. At least they brought us AFI. We liked them. They were the godspring.
2: Interestingly enough, they cannot release their new record through Nitro because Bicycle Music acquired the label in 2013. Yeah, you you mentioned that, and I was like, wait, why aren't they releasing their new album on their own label?
1: Oh, that's why. They don't have it anymore. Yep. Uh, Poor Offspring. No one wants to release their record. I mean, if you heard the one in 2012, would you? Maybe they got better. Who knows? Maybe maybe they pull... uh... Oh, I'm sorry, maybe let me pull, let me like... just
2: hit play on all I want for Christmas as you hear... Oh, oh, no, they're still terrible. <laughs> okay.
1: No, maybe maybe that, that's just a misstep. Maybe just a misstep. Maybe they can pull a, a big offspring revival. You know, Machine Gun Kelly's on the chart. Pop-Punk is big this summer.
2: I'm being a little cruel. Technically, they covered Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. And in what must be the single strangest choice I've ever heard, they decided that they were going to faithfully cover the instruments, and auto-tune their vocalist. Yeah. Yeah. This is not
1: a good cover. It's pretty bad. I'm just saying, this is the year of pop-punk. Our podcast is topping the charts everywhere. The the Machine Gun Kelly is also topping the charts. Uh, it's the year of pop-punk. I could see a big offspring comeback. Uh we should talk about the conspiracy of one. Alright, yeah, we we've probably
2: noodled around enough. There's an intro track, it's five seconds long.
0: When we're ready to sing, we step up at the microphones and it comes out something like this.
2: seems like a flogging molly warm-up and then they start singing
1: so this opening the record is the biggest like cut tracks from americana energy ever they're just like oh this sounds like the other record but without the like really catchy melodies and without the the, i could see the song being recorded for americana and them going uh this is not that that strong we can cut this but no, it opens this
2: record You've mentioned that a couple of times, and especially with some of the quotes I saw about the unreleased album. I could totally believe these are all Americana b-sides. They've talked about how the new thing is, yeah, we've got so much material, it's going to be two albums. And then it became, well, maybe it's just one along the way. But if they overproduce like that and we're still in an era where they thought their shit didn't stink, it could entirely be possible that this was Leftovers.
1: This is weak. the the this first song is very weak. It's a uh, go go fight fight fight. Offspring fight track that have a decent energy. Again, they are a decent musician. They have like a good good drive on some of the tracks, but it just doesn't land in terms of melody. In terms of be having anything that can hook you into this track, and and yeah, and there's not much else to grip on. They they have good energy, but they have not, like, the, you know, smashing, total, complete energy of a real punk band. They're still, like, pop-punk at their core. They have really nothing lyrics, and they... And yeah, and with, this is basically, like, without the thing that made Americana good, which is the really good melodies and the really good choruses and hooks, you take that out, away, and what you're left with is sort of, like, this really mediocre song, which is not... Terrible. A lot of the songs on this record are not terrible. They're just very, very nothing. Very unmemorable.
2: Yeah, this is the album where they tapped longtime Pearl Jam producer Brendan O'Brien to work with them. And he brings some weird energy in parts. This sounds like, okay, this is the old Offspring we'll get to some real weird choices he makes along the way with them.
1: Oh, yeah. Some of the songs on this record are weird and bad. I think it's about like a 50-50 balance between things that are just boring and things that are like, why did you did this? Why would you ever do this?
2: Yeah, it was a real easy pick for me on what two of my top three were because they were just like, this sounds coherent. And then some of the other stuff is like, oh, you're all fighting for last place. <laughs> yeah. But unless you've got more, I think we need to take on what their single sounded like.
0: Until the break of time. Life, life.
1: Prankster. See it's a pun on original gangster. They they changed some words, so now it's original prankster. Also, this
2: this has a very we need to be blink now vibe.
1: Yeah.
2: Like the video is What if What's My Age Again but Monstrous? So
1: The video is about, like, it starts with this kid making, it's a series of, it's basically a boyhood, but with pranks. So it, it follows the life of this kid from childhood to, like, teenage years to adult, and every step of his life he makes some really murder attempt prank to some person during this video.
2: Yeah, and also Redman and members of the band are time traveling in at different points to assist in these pranks. Yes. For no reason.
1: It starts with the kid as a child gathering poop from um from a dog and making a sandwich from for a person that we can assume being his father with poop.
2: Yep. And then we move on to Oh, the second is high school. With the teacher. Right, doesn't he just, like,
1: light a guy on fire in chem lab or assault a teacher? Yeah, straight-up murder attempt. So you have this kiwi teacher who's, like, looking down the skirts of students, and he just goes, uh, Fire? <laughs> Literally murder attempt. Doesn't even classify as a prank. Yeah, and that's...
2: I know we've also commented in the past that the offspring feels like a mean baby boomer energy, despite being young enough that that doesn't really count for them. This
1: is probably the peak of that in this video. Because at the end, after all of these pranks, up, he just gets hit by lightning, the protagonist, and dies. And all of
2: the members of the band just kind of smirk about it, because it's like, yeah, that's a punchline.
1: You you engaged this.
2: What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> you handed him the weapons. Yeah. Well, Redman handed him the weapons.
2: Redman handed him bread. He time-traveled in to throw him a loaf. Is Redman the original bread tuber? I hope not. I actually like Redman. <laughs> I, I really don't know why Redman is here. I couldn't find anything about it.
1: Well, because I think they had to have a rapper on it, because the the song title is a joke on Original Gangster. It doesn't rap on it or anything, it just says the title of the song sometimes in the song.
2: Yeah, the breakdown in the chorus, Original Prankster is Redman every time. But I couldn't find anything about why he was on this, and no one seems to have mentioned it, which sort of fits with the very weird history of this band and controlling their narrative in ways that don't really serve anything.
1: Do we want to talk about the song?
2: I mean, it's... Is that necessary? Okay, so I was talking about the producer making some weird choices. There are some strange samples all over this album, and this is the first one with a repeated Rob Schneider, You Can Do It! You Can Do It! throughout the song. It's from The Waterboy, I think? Good, good, good. Classy. Classy. I mean, he would do it in like seven different Sandler movies before he got split off from those guys.
1: When your pop punk band samples Rob Schneider, you know what you're in for, I guess. When Rob
2: Schneider decided to bite the hand that feeds him and get kicked out of the Adam Sandler griff train was still one of the wilder things that I can recall happening in the past
1: few years. I know literally nothing about that. If you want to tell a story, feel free.
2: Absolutely. We need material this episode. So Rob Schneider decided to talk crap about Adam Sandler, who has been quite open for years about. Most of my new comedies are I pitch a location and a guest star. I bring some of my friends along. We get a paid vacation to see a nice part of the world and film something. And then everyone goes to see it and we make money. Everyone's happy. And Rob Schneider basically went, yeah, that dude ain't shit without me. He ain't shit without shit. And Happy Madison stopped working with Rob Schneider. And now that guy can only do conservative grift films. And he's gone all in on anti-vaxxing and all sorts of things because it's just a complete, oh, oh, I, I didn't realize that I wasn't the driving force of all this. Yeah, dude, Shaq was coming to set for Rob Schneider. Wow, that's... that's wild. It's a pretty good career self-destruction, and couldn't have happened to a better guy.
1: Yeah, uh, original Prankster is basically Pretty Fly for a white guy, too, musically.
2: Yeah, it's, again, the the sample is so weird, and the Red Man is so weird, but without that, this is very much just a Pretty Fly-style little rap song, and some of the cadence is pretty identical.
1: Yeah. It's not as good as Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Pretty Fly for a White Guy at least was catchier than this. Yes,
2: probably because it wasn't broken up by samples of Redman. You have to remember that this was such a 2000s track, because where else are you going to hear lyrics like crime, crime, rockin' like Janet Reno? I don't know what Janet Reno is. Janet Reno was a prosecutor in the Clinton White House. Again... This is two thousand. Also, you did ask about the very odd censorship on the bridge in the video because there was only a censored version made. Dime was censored due to dime bags. Nine was censored due to nine millimeters. Oh yeah, so it's guns and weed. But that sounds
1: like a very overzealous censorship. If I'll be honest,
2: Uh it is. But this was also the two thousands, and radio edits for things had to be very careful about the drugs and anything that might be in the hip-hop.
1: It also sounds really weird, because there's just, like, a whole bit of the song, The Bridge specifically, that's just, like, almost completely, like, censored, and it just sounds weird. Yeah.
2: It's... it's strange. But that was very much the 2000s. Uh, things lightened up, but there was a large outcry about, ah, yes we who are doing hip-hop cannot say words because they might be implications, and everyone leans way too hard on being overzealous. And meanwhile, you've got plenty of white acts who are doing similar. This, If you had to ask me, I would say this probably got hit because Redman was on the track.
1: Huh. Yeah. Yeah,
2: fad. Because again, lines that are not censored Son of Sam, fire always makes it better. Yeah. Yikes. God. Yeah, that's, a, that's right there in the middle.
1: I forgot about that line. God.
2: It's weird.
1: Oh, God. This
2: this song really does not work. And looking at it in the cold light of day, it
1: goes from, oh,
2: that's a little abrasive, to
1: woof. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a wild song. Unless it's memorable, I remember the song.
2: Oh, yeah, this irritates the shit out of me, but I can remember it. We can't do this, we have to move on to something that will make us a little happier. Let's go to Want You Bad. And now for Phoenix DX.
1: Like, this is the one that sounds the most generic of the record. This doesn't even sound like Offspring. This is just, like, airier and poppier, and I don't hate this song. Yeah, this is easily one of my three
2: favorites, just because it's not leaning into offensive, it's got a different sound, and it's got a pretty catchy hook.
1: Yeah, this is sort of like, you know, not as good hit or miss from <laughs> New Glory. Yeah, it's
2: basically just, yo, I I would like a dominatrix girl.
1: Oh yeah, it is also about BDSM, I forgot about that.
2: Yeah, the whole chorus is pretty, you know, I want you all tattooed, I want you bad, complete me, mistreat you, want you to be bad, and he repeats it a bunch. Yeah. Easily, I know we occasionally comment on weird G-rated ways to talk about sex. I definitely think get-out-of-clothes time is one of those. That's how I go to bed, I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah, also, like, if you make chlorine gas by accident, take out your clothes, because they might be, you know, impregnated with the gas. I had to do that when I
2: was covered in Raid one time. Hmm. Uh, it was actually poisoning
1: me through my skin, I didn't realize. Yeah, lo- lots of things can be dangerous if they stick on clothes, so... Maybe this is a video about, you know, safety around hazardous materials.
2: But uh, the video, again, it's it's basically just a bunch of beer cans get shaken up and then it turns into a foam party while the band plays.
1: Yeah, also there's like a guy who's trying to get on with lots of ladies in the videos and just gets slapped a bunch. Well, yeah, that's every Offspring video. The Offspring are a band where there must be a
2: protagonist in every video getting cucked. Going back to Pretty Fly for a white guy. And it continues next album on Hit That.
1: Yep. Anyhow, this song is fine. Yeah, this is pretty good. It sounds very different from the rest of the album. Again, this is sort of that, more that Newfound Glory, Phoenix DX, Blink-182 sound. It's a bit, like, uh, chirpier. It's, like, has this more, you know, catchy, upbeat sound. And this is pretty okay. I don't hate this song. If the offspring were a band who could evolve past
2: 80s sex comedy material this would be a cool step on a road to seeing what they might do but they they don't
1: no they don't because the next song is millions miles away
2: is basically just griping about how being a rock star is so hard, and there's always a hole in you, and I miss you. And, for what it's worth, I think this is a good song. It's got a good energy, a good speed. The chorus is incredibly simple, but,
1: musically, this is probably
2: one of my favorite tracks here.
1: Okay. I I found it fairly forgettable, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. The only thing I remember about this song is the fake ass master of puppet intro
2: yeah uh, again i've also said that one of my favorite songs out of their catalog is gone away this kind of feels like a weirder harder version of that a little bit more rocky repeat that five times and that's the chorus isn't that every offspring song I do have a note here that we are up to three types of woe on one of these tracks. So, yes, I got no beef with this, but the video gives you nothing since it's concert footage and it's incredibly, incredibly
1: repetitive. However, it's not bad. It's not bad. And talking about songs being basically Americana ripoffs, self-rippoffs, I guess... Next one is Damn it, I Change Again, which I guess we could also call the kid's arrow, right?
2: Funny you wrote that because my first note on this is simply not about diapers somehow after the past few songs. This is the part where we are up to the third type of woe he delivers on the album. And they try to do something different with the guitar on this song, probably because of the name. It has an incredibly teenage punk band energy and not in a good way.
1: Yeah, it has sort of like that uh, alt rock alt-metal guitar riff at the beginning, which reminds me of The Kids Aren't All Right. This is where I think
2: both of us start running out of ways to describe a lot of very samey tracks. Like, the most we can talk about is, uh, sounds like the guitarist is doing something different this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does do something different with the guitar, and I would have probably enjoyed this better if I didn't know that The Kids Aren't All Right exists, which does the exact different thing with the guitar it, yeah it's, I, I think this is just like it, it's not a terrible song but it's overshadowed by the fact that this sounds literally like we're trying to make the kids Aaron to write again musically at least
2: and interestingly enough the next track is the one that one of the members of the band is quoted as saying is in that vein
1: Living in Chaos is interesting. It's terrible, I think, but it's interesting. It starts with a very hard rock riff, which I don't hate. Actually, at the beginning of the track, I was like, oh, this sounds interesting, this sounds different. I could get into this. And then it goes into like a weird, wibbly riff that goes through the whole of the song, that it's very high pitch and very annoying to the year, and it becomes a Kid Rock song. This is Offspring being Kid Rock, and I actually really hate this song.
2: Yeah, I I think this is an easy contender for worst or second worst on the album, depending on my mood. I described it as, this feels like a bad new metal track with the half-rapping... Noodles, the guitarist, explained it this way, saying that this is our biggest departure for this record. I can't think of an Offspring song that sets a precedent for it, except it's got that Middle Eastern kind of feel to it. We wanted to come up with a song that just had the crowd jumping up and down, and this is our attempt to come up with something that'll do it. Most of our stuff is too fast to get them to jump up and down together. Lyrically, it's about living in a society that seems to be running amok, or the feeling that it is when things start
1: to get to you. Buddy, you're living in the 2000s. You haven't seen a society that's running amok yet. Also, these are the
2: lyrics that are supposed to be about a society that seems to be running amok. I see hate and greed. This world's a messed up town. Embrace the pain and see. Take it back and you turn it around. Get on it. Up on it. It's on. We're living in chaos. Yeah. This sucks so bad. This is terrible. Yeah, I think Kid Rock and New Metal is a very good descriptor of the I really want to know where he came up with that Middle Eastern kind of feel to
1: it. I I guess they're referring to the weird scale that they use during the verses that sort of high-pitched guitar scale that they do, which is very irritating and doesn't seem to fit with the song at all. No.
2: I will point out that I repeatedly had a banner on their YouTube channel telling me that there's a 20th anniversary vinyl of this album I could buy. This is going to sound way harsher than I probably should, but it's definitely the vibe The Offspring is getting off after I did research into them. When you get to the point where you're cycling out anniversary records, even in your rough period, and you haven't put out anything in eight years, and you're involved in lawsuits and random meme-chasing covers, maybe you've fallen onto that grift train as a band. Or maybe you're wither. Special Delivery, this is a weird song for a lot of reasons. But it's a very. It's a song about a stalker. Yeah, it's, it's a very stalker, incel vibes thing, but. The voice is. I kind of think they're leaning into it, because Dexter's going all whiny nerd. Oh, definitely. And.
1: I mean, this is like the worst version of uh, Nothing Painted Blue House Guest. But then there's the part where. For some reason the samples come back,
2: and it's just the Uga Shaka, Uga Shaka from Hooked on a Feeling. Yes, I don't know why that is! I Yeah What It's incredibly (laughs) surreal because just halfway through this story song they're doing, you just start hearing the background Uga Shaka, Uga Shaka, and it's only the Uga Shaka. And then, yeah, this, we're not kidding when we
1: say this is very stalker vibes, because it's a story song. I, I don't, you know, this is not stalker in that it's trying to be sweet and it comes off as stalkerish, like other song that we did in this podcast. Yeah, we, we need to stress, that's why I was going to quote some of the
2: lyrics, you're going to fall for me, and the voices told me to blow you away. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, wow. Like, I, like, yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's it's a fun attempt at that. It just sort of like hindered by the fact that a lot of band already did this kind of song and there are a lot of better version of this. Again, uh, Nothing Painted Blue has guest, which has been covered really well by the Mountain Goats. That's a recommendation for a song on this vibe. <laughs> what? Uh, just what? doing the bingo. All right, here's the Mountain Goats this week. <laughs> I haven't referenced to yet. This record doesn't deserve an a Keigo reference. It can get an, uh, a Mountain reference. That's perfectly fine. I was just chuckling because,
2: like, all right, we're, we're checking things off. I haven't talked about being old yet, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to do the old jokes because Adam is not here and there's less of a gap between us.
2: Yeah, there's not that large of one, so we both have memories of Americana. <laughs> That came out when I was born. Oh, no. Anyway, yeah, this, you know, it's... This one is so weird, I can't put it in the bottom, because it's at it's least... at least distinct. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's definitely distinct.
1: It sort of... It sounds more rockish. It sort of sounds like a Velvet Revolver song, which is not necessarily a good thing, but it is a thing. <laughs> so,
2: uh let me double check, but you might be onto something there, because I think... The producer did do Velvet Revolver. Uh, yep. This is the guy who did the Velvet Revolver albums.
1: Oh, okay, see?
2: Yeah, so you're 100% on it with that. Uh, actually, looking over his discography again, some of these are pretty wild, because it's like, okay, Bunch of Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, he was big in the grunge era, then he was Rage's The Battle of Los Angeles, Korn's Issues, Okay. Train, Drops of Jupiter. Oh no. Bruce Springsteen, The Rising. Huh. And then it just starts turning into the real embarrassing eras of a lot of bands like Here I Am on an Audio Slave album. Here I Am on Velvet Revolver. Did you know ACDC put something out in 2008? I'm here. Oh, come on. Audio live is better than
1: that stuff. Audio Slave was
2: alright. Audio Slave was all right, but they were just some of those earlier bands I mentioned, warmed over and mixed up like leftovers.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Audio Slave was the better result of that sort of era. I Think, yeah, the third record was sort of pants, but the first two are good. Oh yeah, this dude did a Chris Cornell album
2: in twenty eighteen. It got worse, but
1: oh, I think the I think the record called Chris Cornell is actually sort of um. It's Pearl Jam and Temple of the Dog doing a uh, Chris Cornell tribute, actually.
2: Well, here, let me take it one step further. The last thing this producer has done comes out next week. It's the 20th studio album by ACDC, and it's Angus Young saying, This is a dedication to my brother, just like Back in Black was a tribute to Bon Scott. Okay. Yeah, that's depressing. That's way more interesting than what we're going to get on the next track, One Fine Day.
0: If I had a perfect day, I would have it start this way. Open up the fridge and have a tall boy, yeah. Then I'd meet up with my friends.
1: One fine day, it's different! Okay. It's fun! It's the one track on this record that I would describe as FUN. So... I wrote this as, this is the Boomer Anthem. Yeah, it is, but... I don't know, it's not... A lot a lot of Offspring's lyrics are very mean. This one is just like, oh, I want to drink a beer and watch a sports game. And you know what? Good for you. Here's
2: the... Yeah, that's true. Nothing is really terrible in this. It's just the vibe I get, is it? Well, here's the bridge. I believe it's my God-given right to destroy everything in my sight. Because it never gets dull, it never gets old. The only thing it gets is more bold. Drinking, fighting, going to the game. In our world, it's a way to stay sane. If you're asking me to have it my way, I'd say that's one fine day.
1: Has this very upbeat-like mood to it? Has a really terrible bridge where they half rap. Eh.
2: This is your grandfather doing a Facebook version of Today It Was a Good Day. Except about his
1: <laughs> life. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. that. That is a pretty accurate description of this song.
2: I feel like if this were a thing created today and not in the year 2000, this would be covered on an episode of Minion Death Cult. Of what? Minion Death Cult is a show that, to quote their description, looks at the genocidal Facebook feed of your Meemaw. And it's basically just looking into the absolute lunacy of, at one point it was just, oh, these are the guys who are complaining about, damn it, how come a white man can't say this word, but those other guys can. And now it's like, this is the QAnon rabbit hole. This is what people are calling for when they start screaming about a 16-year-old activist, etc.
1: I was more expecting, you know, actual um, minion memes rather than, oh, conspiracy theories about... It started as that because you used to just see
2: minion memes saying all the worst things because it was easy to just put whatever you wanted on those little jelly beans.
1: Now, anyway, the podcast sounds interesting. Once I'll be done with, uh, let's count them... About 110 records that I have to listen to complete my my chart for uh, 2020. I will maybe give it a try. A new Kylie Minogue album is out. Apparently it's actually good. Yo, what? There's a new Kylie album and I missed it? Yeah, it's called Disco.
2: Fuck yes, fuck yes. I know what I'm doing the instant we're done here. I've actually
1: read really, really glowing reviews on it. That's why I added it to my uh, spreadsheet here. Well, this is a separate spreadsheet, not the pop-punk I I didn't think so. If you want to throw it on
2: there at the end, I'll do an episode with you, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I... Welcome to got of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk, emo-pop, and Kylie Minogue retrospective. Do you know how hard I would go for that? Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> the gay
2: half of me loves everything Kylie with, like, one or two exceptions, because she's had a few,
1: you know, missteps. Also, in four days, the new ISO Proc record comes out. I'm so excited for that. The singles are great. I'm down. I
2: I could deal with something like that. You're also making me think, hey, what's Tobacco up to? But that's a different question.
1: It's very on character for me to like the weird, abstract, big words, hip-hop guy. But yeah, it's like the hip-hop version of The Mountain Goats.
2: Look, it's 2020, and I'm just very worried that any day now, Kendrick Lamar is going to reappear with a surprise album, and it's going to be all Hotep shit.
1: My one note for all along is offspring.mp3, this track is one thirty nine 1 minute and 39 seconds, because I, the first time I listened to this, well, the only time I listened to this, it was in alphabetical order, this was the first song, and I was like, oh, this is, I guess, it's an okay intro. Yeah, this would be a good intro. Yeah, this is not a terrible intro, it's just like, oh, let's get you into the mood for some offspring, I get it. Thrown like this, in the middle of the record, this is just nothing. The back
2: few tracks on this get shorter and shorter.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of this... Well, if we ignore Denial Revisited, which is nearly five minutes.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's the longest song. But it feels like it got that way because it sucked off length from everything else.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most of the tracks on this are very short. And sort of, like, makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I think everything but Denial is under four minutes, isn't it? Yeah. This is not punk-punk level for, like, you, you're you lucky if you get to three minutes, but it's, for pop song, they're pretty short. None of these tracks really drags, aside from Denial Revisited, which is the next track. Yeah, we'll get there. But most, most of the songs are, like, you know, either mediocre or bad, but they go in and out pretty quickly. And the next track is Denial Revisited.
2: All, all I will say about All Along is this guitar work is such basic bitch play-faster chords.
1: yeah it's uh, so likable. Like, I don't think this is... This is way far from the worst song on the record. It's just sort of there. Doesn't have enough time to, like, develop anything, really.
2: All Along is a song about I'm being cheated on, eventually this will fall apart because of that. Denial Revisited is that same thing, except the guy is trying to cling to it.
1: Ever you know, when you listen to Americana, which is pretty much front to back, fast, punk, poppy songs, while listening to that record, did you ever thought, I'm really curious to know what the offspring would sound if they were sad? So... Me neither. I think a more interesting version of that is the next track, but we'll get there.
2: Denial Revisited is so weird because... I say often I want to hear someone fail and do something different than 20 versions of their old catalog. This is definitely different, and this is definitely a failure. But I I have to put the lie to myself. This is the ultimate summary of how bad this song is. A, the drummer is the only one trying. Uh, Dexter is doing something weird with his voice here that I can't put my finger on. B... I hate Lord of the Rings so much. And my partners put it on while I was doing the re-listen to this earlier today. And I watched 15 minutes of Lord of the Rings before hitting play on this song again after I paused it. <laughs> 15 <laughs> minutes of Hobbit humping forest bullshit. Hobbit to quote
1: Mark Hermod.
2: Ah. <sighs> I cannot stand those films. And yet, I was entirely willing to watch Christopher Lee given I'm having a stroke face as a wizard instead of listen to Denial Revisited.
1: It's such a dreadful song. It's near five minutes of The Offspring being sad. It's like, I don't know, it sounds like a mix between the Aerosmith and the Offspring. I hate it. It's just so slow and drains the whole record of energy and does nothing interesting. Aerosmith is a great description of this. Yeah.
2: Are those guys still alive? Oh, okay, so Aerosmith might actually be breaking up. Huh. There was a Las Vegas residency in. 2019 it was cut short due to the covid pandemic they played nine shows in the back half of 2019 and then a bunch of things started going wrong there was a drummer injury they kicked someone out of the band because they said okay this is the wildest quote we're going to hear today joey kramer told several news sites he could not rejoin the band despite his recovery because the band said his playing was not up to Aerosmith's standards. This culminated in a series of lawsuits, and then he was barred from performing with the band at the Grammys. Then Aerosmith lost who knows how much material in the fire at Universal Studios. All of their dates in Las Vegas were canned, as well as a 50th anniversary show. And then apparently one of the members of the band asked on a radio interview a couple months ago, just said, I don't know what they want to do and I don't care because I'm not interested anymore. And just talking about how everyone remaining at the band hates each other. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's our daily segment, Keeping Up With Aerosmith. That is a much more interesting version of the contents of Denial Revisited. And I told it in half the time. Is what if we did a bad cure B side at the start, and somewhere in the middle, and I tried to find this twice, it becomes a bad, bad religion B side instead. And I think it's just down to the guitarist playing from surf rock into slow rock. I've joked before about how sometimes it feels like there's a story arc going through multiple songs. The last quarter of this album is just, what about a long, slow breakup, but without the talent of Disintegration? Or Vulnikura. I did actually almost make a note about, is not Bjork, this song sucks. But I thought that might have been a little too obscure.
1: Which, to be fair, it's a a comment that can be made to most songs. Yeah, there
2: are bands I like that I could say, this isn't Bjork, fuck you. And speaking of Army of One, let's talk about the title track, Conspiracy of One.
1: This is another sort of Americana beside. Same as other songs, good energy, a bit less fast than stuff like the opening track. Really repetitive and really short. It almost feels like a demo, like it doesn't feel like a complete song. So it's interesting that you say this has
2: the real Americana energy. This is a very Hua America track, especially if you have the lyrics in front of you. And if this were released a year later, this would take on such a different energy cuz what's the what are the lyrics? I haven't really checked them out for this track. Red over white, it's one last fatal scene, brought on by someone unseen. Bring on the night, bring us all to our knees, all are gone and none agreed, one who acts alone. <laughs> nobody wins, nobody hears us fall, nobody wins when it's done, conspiracy of one. Very rah-rah talking about the fall of America. I, and again, if you did this song a year later, these lyrics, these exact lyrics, would be such a wildly different take. But no, uh, as it's written and given the time period it came out in, this doesn't even have loose change energy.
1: I, it's not terrible. It's short. It's, again, sort of like an Americana track. And mm.
2: Yeah, it existed that's really all I could say about this
1: title track it existed it closes the record without anything particularly you know terrible or offensive it's just like yeah that's soft I remembered them yeah and this is it this is the record.
2: This is definitely the most I've said. This sucks, man, listening to one of these in a while. Hmm.
1: I. Look, this is. It's one of the hardest records for me to get through so far. Probably the hardest. I don't think it's the worst. I think when it's not doing some really weird shit, this is fine. This is mediocre. This is. Again it sounds like cat tracks from Americana, it doesn't have the catchiness, it doesn't have the like smashing like pop energy of that record, it has a really really energy draining track in the Nile Revisited, it has way too much like weird crossover tracks, I guess that's how we can call them, but the tracks that sound like Americana are fine. They're not great, they're not good, but they are fine. I don't like this record. I think you know, we recorded only an hour and twenty-two, which will be a lot shorter for this record. This is sort of the energy that this record gives. It's like there's not enough there to really sink my teeth in. Uh it, it's mediocre. I don't I don't like it. There's too much misses and almost zero like really good things in it, so...
2: Yeah, um, mediocre is a good way to sum this up, and this is the last time The Offspring would receive unanimous critical
1: praise. Listen to Americana, you like, The Offspring.
2: That record is good. And if you decide that you want to hurt yourself in the way we did, but in a lot less time because you're busy and have things to do, you can just listen to the theme
1: song to Sharknado 4. Uh, But, Fletch, What happened to The Offsprings in the aftermath of this record?
2: Cover a little more of this because we will be seeing the offspring again so i went brief here but within five weeks as we said this album went platinum critics said things like the offspring's most mature output yet and the period leading up to their next album is a bit crazy because they will put out a single for the surprisingly hit film orange county that's one that came out of the 2000s that I don't hear discussed anymore and I'm kind of surprised by. It is Jack Black and Colin Hanks and it's... I remember it being a pretty fun comedy where it's just a slobs and snobs kind of thing except Colin Hanks is a a student trying to get into a good college in Orange County, California UCOC, I believe. And Jack Black is his slacker brother who still lives at home who's trying to help him along the way because they forgot to mail the application so they have to road trip there to get it in and they have wacky hijinks but it had a very 2000s pop punk energetic soundtrack including again original tracks from multiple bands because it was an MTV film i i would be curious to revisit it i think the last act of it kind of sucked from memory but i i had some fun times with it but After that, uh, they're going to lose their longtime drummer over events that neither side have ever discussed publicly, or not that I could find. Good by aliens. Well, no, he starts his own band, which craters within a year. Nice. Yeah. So, there's, there's a lot of events like that that are going to start happening for the Offspring between each of their upcoming records. Someone is going to leave, nobody is going to talk
1: about why,
2: there might be a lawsuit, and there's nothing to chew
1: on. Ah, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out next record and see what, what leads us to Sprinter.
2: <sighs> but luckily, we have a gap between that, because next week, we're going to talk about American Hi-Fi by American Hi-Fi. Pants,
0: but then I on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more.
1: This is the end of season two. Season one is starting next week, right away. Uh, There's not much reason to call this season aside from the fact that they're in different years. But yeah, this is all of we listened to all of the pop punk and emo pop records that charted in the year 2000. What do you think of the 2000? starting from The Suicide Machine and ending with The Offspring. I'm going to be
2: honest. 2000 had a better hit rate for me than the first few we started with, mostly because of the fact that I didn't have a Phoenix DX. Also, I get to talk about Sonic way more.
1: Well, 2000, it is the year of Sonic. We're only six years away from Sonic 06, the objectively better Sonic game.
2: I still stand by that.
1: Do you want to give me your top three or bottom three records of the 2000?
2: Uh, So, looking at our list, I would definitely say 2000. Top is Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Pay Attention, The Suicide Machines by The Suicide Machines, which is just such a great name.
1: They're a great band. I really hate that specific record, but they're a great band. I like them a lot. And...
2: I'm actually going to give this to AFI's The Art of Drowning.
1: Okay. Uh, on my end, from the 2000, let's see. I mean, yeah, the top one needs to be the AFI for me. That record is just great. Then we can have the Mighty Mighty Bostons, which pay attention. And New found Glory by Newfound Glory. Three great records. Yeah, that wasn't bad.
2: That was just a little less my speed. I I found myself looking at a couple of these and going, mm-hmm. Okay.
1: This Offspring record really made me wish I was listening to Newfound Glory. I, I think for all of the faults that they may have lyrically, they're just so fun musically.
2: For all of the trash I have talked about them on our last recording, I definitely did come out of this going, you know, I should really give
1: Warning a second shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I didn't like Warning, but... Uh, Green Day tried a thing. The Offspring didn't even try. Green Day is definitely breaking out of their mold. (laughs) You have to praise Green Day as much as you can here, because the next time that we see them is American Idiot. I know. But at least I get
2: to tell the story of
1: cigarettes and Valentines. Yeah, what are your bottom
2: three from 2000? Easily SR-71. Personal reasons, I'm throwing Bad Religions the New America on there. That is fair. I can't believe how bland an album that is. And uh, Conspiracy of One's definitely bottom. Uh, yeah, definitely bottom. Yeah. Because nothing else was bad enough to remember.
1: Yeah, Now You Feel Inside is definitely better. 71, my bottom one too. I sort of have to throw in the self-title by The Suicide Machine. I love them. I, I got, really got into them after the record, but I think that record is not very good. And... I don't know. I think it's either Conspiracy of One or Horoscope by Eve Six. Conspiracy of One is probably worst. Probably makes it my bottom three.
2: Horoscope would be my number four, but I didn't think it was as bad.
1: Horoscope is not my my genre. It's not the thing that I enjoy generally. Conspiracy of One is technically my genre, and I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess we have to give it to Offspring for the bottom one here.
2: Also, nothing else has nearly made me vomit like the video for Original Prankster.
1: So what are your thoughts on the 2000 as a year? We're closing, we're getting to the, you know, New Year's Eve. We're about to get into 2001, the first year of the new millennium. What what are your thoughts of 2000 as a cultural year here? 2000 is an interesting one to
2: revisit because I remember little bits of this but nothing like a lot of this was new to me um i know these names all of them but i couldn't have told you what was happening with these bands at this time like goldfinger and the boss tones i hadn't thought about in that era and again i was one of the people who we keep mentioning blink 182 is still all over the charts at this time a year later I was still hearing all those damn singles, and we're getting close to when they start warming up the singles for the next album.
1: If someone would have asked me which year is NML of the State from, without you know, without me checking, I would have said the two thousand because I agreed that during the year two thousand, Blink One Eighty Two was like all over everywhere, even in Italy. Like that record, like had staying power. And yeah, no, it's interesting, because the 2000s is sort of like the year where all of these bands that I know, and I know the name, are either after their big record or before their big record. It's sort of this transitory year, musically, where we're still not in the full odds, but we're still not in the 90s themselves. So it's, so it's one of those weird transitory years where there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, I'm happy I discovered The Art of Drowning because I didn't know AFI had a really punky past. I think the record is great. It's very hard-hitting. Uh, yeah, this was an interesting year. I'm looking forward to 2001 as we get closer and closer to the the meat of this pop-punk podcast, the pop-punk meat on this, on this year edge.
2: Yeah, I recognize some more of these singles that are coming up, like Flavor of the Week. Uh, I know the Blink track that's coming. Some 41 I remember a lot more of. And of course, I've said Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American is a personal favorite of mine. I'm going to be gushing that week.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of like interesting good stuff coming up. And
2: also, there's a few names on here I've heard, and I'm like, how are they here? Alkaline Trio I don't think of as pop punk. But there's a couple... I just don't know that I'm very curious about. I don't know Thursday. I don't know Reliant K. Oh,
1: Reliant K were like a sort of like Christian pop-punk band. Ooh, I didn't know that was a thing that charted. This could be fun. Okay, I I might be overselling it. It's not like a Christian Christian pop-punk band, but they were very Christian and were like, you know, you know, not doing any of the edgy stuff. They were like very very PG pop-punk. They have one real good song that will come in a couple of years. There's one song of them I really love. It has like a really cool piano thing going on, but I don't know much else of them. Mm. We have the Lit next record, Atomic. We have, oh God, 2001 looks great. Atomic by Lit closes the year. I'm very curious about it because, yeah, there's a
2: lot of things here that I only know in... Passing, so I will be very curious how much my expectations match with reality.
1: And the return of Fenix TX.
0: Different it's stupid, contagious, to be broken, someone save us from
1: 4-5-1-0-1? This was the episode. If you want to listen more from us, please go to getoutofthistown.com. You can mail us at GetOutOfThisTownPodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T Podcast. You can, you know, iTunes us, Spotify us, Google Play us. Especially if you're on iTunes, rate, review, all of that stuff. Please give us five star. It helps. It helps being more spread into the internet to spread our pop pump tentacles into the ether. Next up, as we said, we're going to listen to American Hi-Fi, by American Hi-Fi, of which you probably will also, like us, know the one song. We're going to listen to the whole record.
2: Her boyfriend, she don't know anything about her is... I'm not going to do the whole thing.
1: And yeah, do you have anything to plug, Fletch?
2: You can find all of my projects at hellscaper.com. Do you have
1: anything to plug, Adam?
2: Mama, mama. <laughs> <Good luck.
1: laughs> you can as <laughs> always find me at ACCTheMoon the moon on Twitter.
2: <laughs> if
1: you want to support
2: us, we do not have a Patreon, but we are about to shift in the events of the election. From saying that pop punk has been infiltrated by Russia to saying that pop punk has been infiltrated by sickos, which will be about 60% more accurate by volume.
0: Bye! Yeah, See ya!
2: No who knows why. on your mind? Not like
0: I've got time to stick around. I'll catch my Friday break like a pop punk. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? No point left to keep your image down with
2: terrify. There's a there's a lot of annihilation in Machine Gun Kelly's history.
1: <laughs> oh, the movie? Yeah. Was we'll he in that
2: too? Uh, yeah, he was the screaming bear. They didn't even have to auto tune him or do any digital effects. That's just what he sounds like without any makeup.
0: Ba 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 ba. da 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 da